Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. I can fly twice. You don't remember that reading rainbow? I, I, I do remember reading, today, reading rainbow. Today is a book presentation. Ah, uh, yes. Now... But I don't remember actually how the reading rainbow thing goes. We got to figure out. A I new remember like wishbone. You remember wishbone? We got to figure out a new way to do this because he gets the first cut at every podcast because I go press the start button on the computer, and then he gets this do some ridiculous thing. I yeah. Reading rainbow though. That's that's like yeah, yeah. But you remember what it was when back when I would push the button and then you would give the intro. It was the same boring. Well, hey there. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> All right, because th- that's what I sound like. Hey, welcome to the podcast. No, what Father John. So, well, w- people are people have never listened to this, man. So I know that is kind of. I apologize. So it's good to I'm just getting, introduce ourselves. But you, you're so one punk. of the things I'm doing for Lent is learning to apologize. <laughs> I'm not good at it, but I am sorry. I, I I'm sorry for the the people out there who, yeah, have to suffer these things. I, uh, it could be. It like, could be worse. You know, we want people to listen to our podcast, and then they push play, and they're like, "Ugh, these guys really hate each other." So maybe we'll edit that out, huh? No, it's good. No, it's... no, not not the fight, the bad singing. <laughs> and no. the re- yeah. Well, I don't know what to say other than welcome to the podcast. Um, so we'll have to rework that for Lent. You just like to blow things up. Hey there. <laughs> This is Father John and Father Mike, and it is a Friday night, first Friday night in Lent here, and um, we haven't done this in a little bit, so it's good to I be know. back. I've yeah. been back in the States for a bit, and uh, my grandmother passed away at 95, and um, Helen Neppel, beautiful life, um, first family funeral, um, and it was a real privilege, man, I tell you what, it was like, uh, it was amazing, and my dad's a deacon, yeah. as many of you know who listen. Wonderful woman. Yeah, I, you, you I mean, I, I all I know is... Um, your grandma being real sweet lady with baking us kolaches, right? And right. then telling me f- some nice stories when we'd visit her in Gunnison. Yeah, she was a sweetheart, and um, yeah, just like a rock solid faithful woman. But she also converted. You know the famous story I'm always telling it about. She got lost on horseback at age ten. She was out. I don't. The, I don't think I've heard that. You never heard the story? No, no. Well, I'll tell it really briefly. She um, so she was born 1923. Czech farming homestead up in north central Montana, about 20 miles southeast of a little town called Big Sandy, Montana. Oh, yeah, Big Sandy. And she was out way out with the pasture. Um, I don't even know the words for this because I'm such a city Pasture's boy. good. Pasture? Is that where cattle are? <laughs> you're, you're doing good. Uh, so she's way out near the Missouri River, and she's, she was on a horse when she, from age five. So they used Whoa. to put on a horse, like physically, on a horse. And send her off to school every day, two miles. She'd ride Dolly to school. With, then, the, with the other kids? Well, she would just go and, uh, Dang. At, at age five. And then you know, the, when she got tell there, these stories they'd, have about take, they'd have to physically take her off because she couldn't reach the stirrups. Her feet were so... <laughs> she just starts screaming. <laughs> I guess. Help me. So she was out age 10. She was out um, in the pasture. And uh, it got dark. And uh, she got scared. And uh, saw uh, the homestead off in the distance. This is out by the Missouri River. And um, she went, she just thought, I need to go there, you know. And this family welcomed her in. They prayed the rosary that night. They were devout Catholics. Um, and she started asking the question of, what is this? Wow. And uh, she became really close to that family. And 
started to kind of go over there and started to keep asking questions. She she converted in her teenage years. I think she was like 16. Um, And then she raised her kids Catholic, and then her stubborn Czech husband eventually converted in his 50s, Papa Laddie, thanks to a good Irish priest named Tom Tobin, who's still alive up in Montana. He's got to be at least 140 by now. Um, But he is... um, he was a, long, a longtime friend of theirs. And then uh, here she is, age 95. Her grandson's the priest, and her son is the deacon at her funeral. Yeah. So it's like, you know what? All because of that family. And uh, so, yeah, anyways, God is yeah. faithful. Yeah. I mean, so, anyways, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful story. And um, I've been telling that to everybody because I, I just love it. And I love how crazy Providence is. Yeah. You know? a, a little girl gets lost on horseback, and I grew up Catholic. Yeah, hundred years later. Well, it's, it's beautiful. As it, thank thank God for the witness of that family too. You know, right now, if only it was that exciting here in Rome. But our our days continue in the library. And uh, oh yeah, well, I got a good I, I got a good break uh, a weekend away out in the mountains. Got to go ski. You did, yeah. Take a little vacay. The uh, Olympics are going on right now, and I like to watch skeleton. Ske- oh, is that the I don't know why. Bobsled thing I, face down? Yeah. Luge. I think it's because it's so fast and... Uh, insane. I, yeah, <laughs> insane. I mean, I also like... I mean, I've seen some... I've watched a, a watch. couple of highlights of uh, snowboard, half pipe, and all that stuff. So. Right. So there's... Americans are good at the snowboarding and fun to see You've them been now. watching figure skating. You didn't mention that, though. You told me about some... Triple, uh, I did see triple quadruple. No, I did see uh, that the the American woman did the first triple lutz or triple sow cow or whatever those things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was like a milestone. Congratulations! I don't, but I, I didn't really watch through that. I just had seen some of the like updates of the big stuff going on. My life, our life, is so insular that um, I think we were having coffee yesterday, and you mentioned the Olympics, and I was like. The Olympics. Yeah. You're like, yeah. What is that? Day five. And I was like, <laughs> really? Olympics are going on? You're like, oh my, you need to get outside. So no, it's, nice, it's nice just to get life over here. It's not, yeah, you, you never know. But I, actually, I brought it up because I wanted to make fun of you for uh, being <laughs> being afraid of biking in the cold. Oh, uh, yeah. Not yeah. that I'm any better, but I, I, I like... Uh, how you're like the tough mountain man, right? But you can't go out in the cold because it's right. Chilly. It's too cold. Yeah. Last time I tell you my deep dark secrets, so <laughs> it's been freezing cold. Everything in is Rome. public. Everything's public in the podcast. The uh, that is true. I I am. Uh, I think I. I don't know. I think I have a moral dilemma with like long full body spandex, and that doesn't sound. That doesn't make a lot really? of sense. And you don't have any problem with the biker shorts that I don't are like know. really maybe, short and yeah, tight and I guess a lot of leg? It doesn't make any sense. I haven't, I haven't really worked this out logically, but I just I find that like putting on long sleeve, um, I don't know. Well, I don't like lingerie. T- I don't like basically, tights or spandex it just at feel, all. I don't know. It's just it's true. There's, there's just, something about and it's like so yeah. So that's it. Yeah, I'm waiting till after Easter to bike with you. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, you got you have forty days to get brakes on that bike before you go out. Again. I know I got to fix that. Stuff. Did you know that story? We have a friend in the room. We're not going to introduce him yet, but we will in a second. But did you know that we're biking down from Castel Gandolfo? His brakes go out. It's like literally. Yeah, just, it's kind of steep. We told over that there. story on the podcast a month ago, but it's it's crazy. So. A lot of people have chimed in with their concern, but I'm going to get brakes. <laughs> so we have a uh, a new group of uh, college kids in town. Um, 
And they know nothing of the podcast. There's something about this demographic. It's like the podcasts are like, that's what old people listen to, you know. And so oh, yeah. now we got all the last year Bernardi kids listening because we did that live one. So they listen. Father John's taking, say some prayers for Father John because he's taking the, the young people on retreat in Assisi this weekend. Um, yeah, it's something that fa- Father Charlie, who's going to come talk to us momentarily, he's also a chaplain. And his students were here in the chapel praying the Stations of the Cross with me at 3 p.m. today. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Raising the bar, you, Mary. All right, I see. They're how it great. Is. They're very pious. They're very prayerful. Yeah, I always like those kids from the. Well, they also have a more Dakotas. pious and prayerful chaplain than myself. No, so. your kids are great too. Now, if you were taking a group of college kids up to the Edamo, yeah, the Hermitage, how would you rank that as a hike? Out of five, out of ten, out of ten, I don't. Who ranks anything out of five? You, what? Rank it at a three oh, and a, a half. a lot of people. Stars? Rank it in colors. Oh. What did you ask, Sunit? This is funny. This is funny, M- Father Mike, Lore. Send me a color, an adjective, an animal. What? <laughs> this is... And a monster. It, well, I forget what it was. I don't know. I don't... You said that to somebody back home, and <laughs> they told me I got a text from Father Mike. It's probably three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it said, <laughs> yeah, that's the send problem. me your favorite adjective. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about, though? Now you're getting bashful. I'm trying no, to throw I know what the, you're talking about. I just I'm can't, trying to throw them under the bus the, after the problem, that spandex. The problem is I can't explain these things. <laughs> it was just some random thought that came to mind. And maybe I I was on a train recently, and I like to write poetry on a train. So maybe it was like a Mad Libs thing. Yeah. Get, just give me something to riff on in my little note. I don't know. I like this, though. What we do That's is... That's the madness of my mind. Oh, I mean, we, I'm going off the rails, dude. We decont- off the rails. <laughs> We decontextualize every life, and then we publicize it just to embarrass the other. <laughs> no, we really are losing it. And uh, you know, one of the other things is um, when you start working in other languages, like especially languages you don't know, and you find yourself reading in them all day or, or writing. And I'm, I'm with two guys who are master linguists here, but as we all know, I basically suck at this. So I'm I I have a three year streak running of going to the library at Santa Croce. And every time, without fail, I screw something up. Like I, like the first day I walk in, I threw my trash into the umbrella holder because <laughs> we don't have umbrellas in Colorado. Like That's true. I've never seen that in my life. And the guys just and there's these two. They're these, like a little chrome bin. It looks like it a trash looks like can. a trash can, like a very artsy yeah, don't narrow throw it, one. Yeah, exactly. So these two characters at the front desk, they love, they love giving me crap because oh, they really? know I'm just. I've literally been screwing up every time I go in there, and so. And so they like to mess around with me. And so now they're just getting really intrigued and asking questions. So their most recent question was, as I'm checking out the book, and it takes like 15 minutes. And I'm like, oh, come on, I want to go here. And he goes, what kind of music do you listen to? This is all in Italian, <laughs> right? And I'm like, I have no idea how to explain to you what Gregory Allen Isakoff is in Italian. So I just said, classic rock. But I tried to say <laughs> it like in Italian. And, he, and he's like, oh, I love classic rock. And then he's like, what bands do you like? And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> oh, no. I don't even think I can name any. <laughs> and then I was like, um, Led Zeppelin. And he's like, oh, Led Zeppelin, what's your favorite album? And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. Houses of the Holy. And then he starts playing it on the computer. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's farther, probably farther than I get. And next thing you know, like the mo- one of the most terrifying Opus Dei professors, Sans, 
uh, walks past, and we're like jamming out to this like basically satanic Led Zeppelin music Led Zeppelin. in the front. So I'm getting in with the library guys, but I'm just like, why did I? Why did I say that? I don't even like classic rock. I went through this like four year phase in like middle school where I was like really into classic rock. But for some reason yesterday, that felt like the right thing to do. You so, know, that's uh, the, the point thing. of it. I don't even know who I am anymore. Yeah. You just panic yeah. and you say something. I do this all the time, but I don't even have to be in a foreign context. I just do that. Yeah. I can be at lunch and I'll just panic and say, I think you have to learn to forgive yourself for a lot of these little oh my gosh. weird lies. <laughs> you know, you can bring them to, you bring them to the confidior at mass. I know. Because it was like, I really didn't. <laughs> I really didn't mean to lie to that person. I'm not trying to keep them from the truth. But the, I just had to give an answer. But it's worse when you, I only talk to like one person every day, you know? That was my one chance. Yeah, that's That true. was my one conversation. That was it. But now yeah. you got to go with it. I know. Now you got to like bring him a Leonard Skinner CD. To oh, next, man. It was week. so funny. So I don't know, what I'm, I don't know what's going to happen next week, but I'm sure I'll screw something up. So anyways, without further ado, let me hand off the microphone. Right. But I need to make one final preface before I do that. Father Nathan Goebel, in his infinite generosity, oh, gave us a third microphone to bring back to Rome oh, really? in order to appease Andrew Polito and all the listeners to have equality in sound and good mixing with three microphones. With a, yeah, with a guest speaker. Right. Do you know where that microphone is? I don't know. At my parents' house. Did we break it? In Denver, Colorado right now. So I left it. But oh. they're coming in March. So all of that to say, Nathan, I'm kind of sorry. <laughs> no, for, thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. I'm kind of sorry for... You ever hear that story? <laughs> that kid in the confessional? Who's, <laughs> who told me that? I'm kind of sorry. I'm sorry. This kid, he said, I have one say. He said, um, I, stole, uh, I stole Skittles from my brother, but I'm not actually sorry at all because Skittles are my favorite. And I was like, <laughs> I need to deny you. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah. So I'm kind of sorry, like the Skittles kid, because uh, I, if I would have told him that, he would have just got it and he wouldn't have ordered the new set. So they have a new set in Denver, which someday we'll use. And I am sorry, Father Charlie and Father Mike and everybody listening, that the levels will not be balanced as we now bring in our wonderful friend, Father Charlie Sampson. Without further ado. Here we go. Here we go. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know the uh, St. Louis... St. Louis fight song or whatever. It, do do, do cities have he fight songs? super awkward. Father Mike is really difficult to talk to. I don't know what he's talking about. Well, they always play when the Saints go marching in during the Blues games. And oh, yeah. Things, so. There you go. Yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. St. Louis. It's uh, a French saint. So Father Charlie Sampson is uh, a good priest of St. Louis. He's been in Rome about half of his life. <laughs> a third. A he's, third of my life. Is it really? Yeah, I'm 31. I've been here nine years. So oh, man. More or less. He's the only guy in the world who's been here longer than I have. <laughs> and uh, he's just a model of patience, perseverance, hard work. He's a, he's a ver- really good dude and a good priest. That's and very kind of you. Thank you. He's also an author. Woohoo! Yeah. So he's uh, he was working on this book. This was last year. Correct. Actually, two years ago. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Father Charlie was was working on this book. You get to spend some time. So um, he, he was doing uh, a scripture degree at the Biblicum. You get to spend some time in the Holy Land. Like Correct. A whole semester. How, how mm-hmm. long was that? I spent four months in Jerusalem. And what were you studying? I was studying things that ranged from archaeology to ancient history to biblical history and a little bit of theology also. 
At the uh, Hebrew University. At the Hebrew University. But we lived at the Pontifical Biblical Institute's religious house of Jesuits there. So we also took tours led by the Jesuits, Mm -hmm. which is the same place, I believe, as you lived when you were there. So I lived there in the spring with like a little smaller group, but it was the same thing. Yeah, like a semester in Jerusalem. And uh, So one of the great joys of living in the Holy Land, or, or even just visiting the Holy Land as a pilgrim, um, being in the places where Jesus was, mm-hmm. being in the places, especially for us who study the Bible, to be so close to the place, places where all of these stories take place, where the hall of salvation history played out, or kind of like the central stage it's true. of all of these things. And um, it's a just a profound blessing to be there. Amen. Um, And I know there's Christians all over the world who um, have the opportunity, get the opportunity to go on pilgrimage and uh, really savor that. Yeah. Um, Father Samson wrote a a book, a pilgrim's guide to help those pilgrims um, to enter into that experience, to to learn about sites, to pray, um, to have, yeah, just kind of resources to be able to enter more deeply into that experience. Yes, indeed. Um, I noticed, like, what's your, what's your style? What's your take? Because you could get Rick Steves, and Rick Steves could tell you where to get the food or, like, how to, what kind of hummus to order or whatever, you know? Um, Very important. <laughs> what were you thinking of when you, when you wrote this book? I was trying to think of a vision that you could say is holistic, in that it would include archaeology, history, theology, to a certain degree, and also prayer in a way that could provide a wholesome presentation because sometimes when you go there, you get guides who are very interested in archaeological nitpickiness that no one really cares about, especially a pilgrim. Or sometimes you get guides who give you a spiritual interpretation of things, but you don't learn anything from them. Yeah. And I wanted to give a balanced approach that would try to do as best as possible all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like that. And I, I don't remember as well. I did a lot of touring on my own out there, but it was, it was like that. You, you get a lot of information that's just historical or art or something like mm-hmm. that. And you run into that with tours here in Rome as well. <laughs> People will tell you all kinds of trivial facts, which might be interesting, but they don't necessarily give you the, the, the heart of the matter or, um, I don't know, let, help you to enter into the Exactly. Kind of the, the, and the profundity of this place. Exactly. And a pilgrimage is such a uniquely privileged time in which to encounter the Lord in a small window of time that you have. So it's best to use it as efficiently as possible. And like you said, it's, it's kind of how the Jesuits have in their form of prayer a composition of place, that these places, these hills, these sounds, and even actually these smells. A lot of people come from the Holy Land saying what they remember most about the Holy Sepulcher was how it smelled. Mm. Uh, the sensorial experience of our faith in the scriptures it's such a unique time, so I just wanted to try as best as I could to facilitate in that encounter. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> especially by trying to highlight how it really matters where Jesus was when he said and did what he did. Studying it a little bit, I realized it was very important that those are the details that we tend to just kind of skip over when we read the Gospels, like where he was, and he was going down the hill, he looked over at the sea. But it matters. One quick example, if I may. Yeah. We all know that Jesus, especially in the Synoptic Gospels, feeds the multitude twice. Once feeds the 5,000, once feeds the 4,000. And of course, we know the details that after the 5,000, there were, tw- there were 12 wicker baskets left over. And after the 4,000, there were seven wicker baskets oh, left yeah. over. And what might seem as just kind of a trifle or a piece of trivia actually is really significant. 
and it matters, it depends on where he was. The first feeding, when there were 12 baskets left over, which of course symbolized the 12 tribes of Israel, he was on the, the northwest and southwest side of the Sea of Galilee, which was the Jewish-run part. It's where Herod had his, his reign. So it makes sense that this is Jesus showing that he is the Messiah, reuniting the 12 tribes. Mm. On the other hand, when he's on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, just east of Bethsaida, he is in the region of the Decapolis, which was the Greco-Roman-run areas. In other words, the place where there were pigs, where there were other unclean animals yeah, showing Gentiles, that there were Gentiles. Yeah. So he left seven wicker baskets left over. And we all know that seven is a you know, biblical number of perfection and days of creation, but it's actually a little bit more historical than that in this case. When the Israelites moved into the Promised Land and started conquering it, how many peoples did they have to extradite from the land? The Jebusites, Perizzites, Hivites, Amorites, seven. Mm. So by going into pagan land, you could say, and leaving over seven wicker baskets, Jesus was showing that he is the Messiah for all. He's gathering not just the 12 tribes, but all peoples mm. into the one people of God. And that only makes sense if you take into account where he was when he did what he did. Yeah. So there's things like that that I wanted to present as more or less a series of Bible studies. Oh, that's moments. cool. No, I really like it. And one of the things that I like, I've just paged through this. I bought my copy online. Oh, thank you. It's, it's on the way. I went paging through his and... Um, I mean, there's there's great resources. There's great uh, bibliographical kind of uh, information, so that if if you get interested in these sites, you can jump from here and go to find books on this when you get home. Um, but it's full of these these fascinating insights about the place, and it's the kind of thing um, that even if you've been or if you're a guide, uh, this is the kind of resource that you got to have. Um, hmm. You got to have your hands on, and it's gonna. It can take you if this is your first time in the Holy Land, or this could be your twelfth time in the Holy Land, and you're gonna learn a lot from this this resource. Um, you also take us through the uh, a lot of different places. Yes, so um, I, there's three sections: Galilee, the Dead Sea, Dead Sea, and, and Jerusalem. Jerusalem area. Yes. Okay, and even a chapter on walls and gates. <laughs> Oh, and indeed, because the most impressive thing when you first see Jerusalem is it's surrounded by these massive walls. Yeah. And how important that was in the Psalms, too. That walk around Zion, walk all around it, so you will see that such is our God, one of the Psalms says. Yeah, yeah. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, all these things. I'd like to uh, add uh, two more points here, if I can. This is super vain, uh, but it's beautiful. Like, Emmaus Road did a good job. It just It's like a, it's the kind of book that I like. Uh, I like looking at it. I like reading uh, it's beautiful. And then the second reading, of oh, it's course, got a lot of pictures too, is yeah. that it's got Ellie Shambro featured in it, one of the best podcast promoters in the United States. Oh, yes. And one of the photos, because these are all his, these are all Father Charlie's photos, and it's his friends. So, um, what's her, what's her married name now? Coiro. Coiro. Sorry, Allie. Coiro. Yeah. We're, we're, we're slowly learning. Catholic thank thank folk you for we, your email, the, by the way. It was know. nice to hear from you. Catholic folk we know are featured. Um, but, we just know Charlie to be um, a great scholar, but also um, just a really good writer. And uh, so we are excited to promote this because um, I just think it's it's something that uh, everybody who goes to the Holy Land should be looking at. And um, I'll be going next year, hopefully, and uh, I will be taking this with me. So thanks for your hard work, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, and you're most welcome. And I should take this moment just to say that, yes, I'm very happy with the publisher. Scott Hahn founded this publishing house some time ago and. Their style and approach is a faithful and traditional reading of 
theology and scripture, but one that is also bona fide uh, scientifically, you could say, researched and well done. So the, the aspect, the vision of the book is kind of a maximalistic interpretation. We just trust the tradition. Byzantine yeah. Christians remembered where Jesus was when he said and did what he did. Um, but Byzantine Christians, it's, it's interesting because when I was down there, I met a lot of different kinds of Christians, especially the, the category that kind of blew my mind was Christians who are Arab-speaking. Very often we Americans think of anybody who's an Arab speaker as if he or she were a Muslim. But in fact, Arabic is mentioned in, as you would know, having studied the Acts of the Apostles, it's one of the languages that is mentioned at the event of Pentecost, that some of the earliest Christians actually spoke Arabic. And Mm -hmm. to this day, our Palestinian and Jordanian brothers and sisters throughout the Middle East, they speak Arabic. And I got to meet a lot of them when I was there. And learning about how much they love their faith, and even though they're a minority and their, their traditions and their roots, I felt called to do something to help them in any way that we can. Every Christmas, most parishes in the States do some kind of fundraiser for our Christians in the Middle East. So I thought, well, by writing this book, maybe I could benefit them in some way. So I decided to donate all the proceeds, all of the personal proceeds from this book to the seminary in Palestine. It's in a little town called Beit Jala, which is right next to Bethlehem. Yeah. And it's the only seminary that serves the Middle East uh, for the Latin Rite, for the Roman Catholic Rite. So they, yeah, they send priests to Jordan. They send priests to, I don't know about Lebanon. They do, uh, yes. Some in Lebanon. Yeah, Latin Patriarchate. Throughout uh, Palestine and Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It was a great, when I was there for the Holy Week, we got to um, kind of, go on pilgrimage with them yeah. in, in, in a sort of way, you know, walk uh, in a lot of the processions and such mm. with yeah, the seminarians. Powerful experience. So I thought that in this little way I could give back. Yeah, good for you. So how do we buy it? <laughs> good question. You can go onto the publisher's website, EmmausRoad.org. I think it might be the St. Paul Center of BiblicalTheology.org. But if you just type into Google, come and see the Catholic Guide to the Holy Land, it will come up. You can buy it on their website, and it's also on Amazon. It's currently out of stock. It's, I guess it's selling well, which, praise God. There you go. Let's reprint um, it again, Amaz. Yeah, that would be great. So then, otherwise, there is a store in St. Louis in which you can find it called Catholic Supply. Good okay. local family that helps us out, but it can be found online. And it also comes as an ebook, so you could put it on an iPad, which might be easier to carry. Well, we'll put a link on our page to you. Oh, the title thanks. again? Come and see A Catholic Guide to the Holy Land. Echo, echo. Okay, last question for you. Thank you, yes. What is your favorite place in the Holy Land? Oh, darn it. That's such a hard question. I would say my favorite place is Eremos Hill. It is oh, yeah, the, that's mine too. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. nice. It's the hillside right next to the Sea of Galilee on which Jesus would have preached the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, as if you're reading Luke's Gospel, where he gave the Beatitudes, where he gave the... You've heard it said, you shall love your, your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. That whole discourse mm. taught the Our Father, taught about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Something about the place just really strikes me because it's dead quiet. They decided over the course of history not to build any buildings there so that it could be maintained a view and a feeling of what it was when Jesus was there. And you know, the peace of that place is just so penetrating. And you just think, he saw that water. This hill hasn't changed in 2,000 years. He yeah. saw this hill. Something about and there's that place. this like kind of weird cave thing that's almost like a natural bench and a little shade. Um, the Jesus cave that looks over the the lake. I mean, mm-hmm. it's absolutely serene. I agree. And I think it's one of the more um, perfect places. It's I one agree. of those things where you just like 
I don't know, it's so harmonious. It's like God made this for Jesus to hang out there, you know? Like a long, long time ago, this this was in uh, in motion or something. Indeed, and that's also where he retreated to spend the night in prayer. So some of my priest friends who would go on pilgrimage would spend the night in that Jesus cave. It gets pretty cold. I, I wouldn't recommend it myself. Wow, yeah. Some like to spend the night there. Yeah, that's cool. All right, yeah, well, hey, thank thanks. For, thanks for having me on the show, and I appreciate all of your help. I just thought, while it's appropriate, Catholic stuff you should know, I hope that this book is an instantiation of Catholic stuff you should know. Dude, we talk about tons of Catholic stuff that you probably shouldn't know. <laughs> this is one that you should. I mean, this is really great, and uh, we're really proud of you. And, uh, yeah, Father Charlie's been... Um, I, I mean, I give all these endorsements. He's also been a good friend for years, so uh, I'm very grateful for that. And... Uh, And if you've been wondering about the quality of the priests at the Casa Santa Maria based on the podcast, and you're feeling like it's a little wanting, I'd like to point out there are men like Father Charlie Sampson here who are solid and great guys and uh, who we're very happy to know. So he's been a faithful um, compatriot in the rare books room and uh, holding out. The exegetes have long held uh, this this small little room that we all study in, uh, but... They're passing. I don't. Yeah, it seems like we're having passed the torch. We're getting outnumbered now. Yeah, dog mistaken over. Better watch yourself. Whatever. I'll be there for another year. Yeah, that's right. So we got Father <laughs> Charlie going here. Anywhere. He's gonna he's gonna uh, hang with us here for a bit, and um, hopefully just jump in whenever you want. Drinking his tea there. Enjoy that sleepy time, honey. Thanks to Celestial Seasonings in Boulder. Celestial Seasonings. Celestial <laughs> Seasonings. <laughs> We'd like to bring our friend our from placement. Celestial Seasonings here. <laughs> No, uh, yeah, thanks, Charlie. That was great. Okay, you have a topic, though. Well, can we check? I just want to know the time, because we bantered for a long time, and then we covered this good book. Why are you looking at me? Well, I just want a window. This thing is only going to tell us how many clicks we have. How many clicks, Charlie? What does it say? Charlie, does it say? (laughs) 6,000 clicks. 6,000 clicks or something? Yeah, that doesn't help at all. I get nervous because you and Goebel always get insecure when I click the... The, the timer on the watch, so I didn't do it So today. we didn't do any timer. So why don't we do this? I, I got a creative Can idea. You, you like you like creativity. I'll do you're 10 cre- minutes. You're an artistic type. Okay, go on. How I don't do know do what this? you're setting up for here. Do 15 minutes you of this to stand topic. stand on your head. Do 15 minutes of this topic, then we're going to end it, and then we'll start the next podcast. We've never done this before. Just roll into the next one, like part two, and then we'll go into mine. We'll split it all up. So it's like a third, a third, a third. So there's no break or whatever? No, we'll just okay. go into the next. They can, they can uh, all right, stay well, from round two. How does that sound? Right on. All right. How long you want to go for? 15 minutes. You just said. Oh, that was just a guess? Yeah. Now we're right. going to do it. All right. I'm starting chrono well, on my... I also have Indiglo. Is your in Indiglo going to beep, the beep lights for us? Or whatever? Okay. Here's what we're going to do. I just, this is all I want to talk this about. This is just part one. So this summer, this last summer, I was invited to give a talk um, about the Bible on the occasion of, or kind of recognizing the occasion of 500 years since the the 95 theses were posted on the doors of the Wittenberg Cathedral by Martin Luther. I think it was October, seven, uh, October of 1517. Okay. It, it was definitely... Halloween. Was it Halloween? I believe so. Okay. I, yeah. Okay. We have an authority here on... This is great. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Like a- so... Um, 500 years later, we're recognizing um, that uh, Christianity, Christianity has been um, affected a great deal by that event. Um, you have about half of the Christians in the world are Catholics, 
and um, half of them are now non-Catholics, uh, baptized Christians, not um, not Catholic, right? Uh, before that, you basically had everybody Catholic, and then there were some Orthodox over in the in the East um, national churches. I mean, that's grossly oversimplifying, but um, it's probably true that most of the Western uh, world and Europe were fairly unified as um, Latin Catholics, right? Right. Okay, so then over the, the course of the, the last 500 years, um, there's been uh, a lot of world changes, enlightenment, um, the scientific revolution, industrialization, globalization, all of this has changed. Meanwhile, in, within Christianity, you have um, new ideas about authority, a lot of fracture and division that comes about um, eventually to the place where now we've got like lots and lots of denominations of other Christians and, um, and lots of ideas about what Christian means. Um, and then you have this kind of big body of Catholics. Um, so, okay, I'm giving this talk. I was supposed to talk about like what, what is the Bible and um, and I did some research, and it made me realize. Okay, we is live this in this, this summer. Yeah, this oh, summer. Yeah, the Lord's talk. Yeah, okay. Lords at our friend Father Brian Larkin's parish. We live in this very pluralistic society where everybody has uh, Catholics and Protestants in their family, or you know, you just told the story about um, your grandmother and grandfather converting to Catholicism. Uh, my mother became a Catholic when when my parents married. Um, half so half of my family is Lutheran. And um, or like extended family, and it's just like that's the world we live in. There's a lot of interaction in America, especially uh, between uh, Catholics and non-Catholic Christians. And I think after 500 years, a general uh, interest is in unity. We talk about unity. I think everybody wants unity. Problem is, it's very very difficult to to find unity among uh, among Christians. Catholics and um, Protestants, I'm going to use the word Protestant because I think um, a lot of non-Catholic Christians are happy to, t- to take that name, um, but it's, after the, the, the Reformation starts with Martin Luther, and um, it was kind of a declaration of the Catholic Church has no, is wrong about its authority structures, and uh, we're going to uh, bring either reform, depending on how you look at it, or uh, protest. Um, and so there's a lot of different terms to talk about non-Catholic Christians. I like Protestants. Um, I don't want to offend anybody, but um, a, lot of, a lot of non-Catholic Christians are happy to call themselves Protestants. And, um, and so anyway, that's, that's kind of a regular term I'll use. So I was giving this talk. I was praying about it, you know, 500 years. I'm praying for unity. I'm thinking about unity, but I say, how does this happen? And ultimately, I came to this conclusion. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. When I was a a priest out in Craig, Colorado, we would get together as a ministerial alliance. All the ministers in town would get together, and we would organize, like, chaplaincy for the police and uh, fundraisers in town and... um, Kind of, we had like a, 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 an, a, I don't know what do you what do you call it like a soup kitchen and a and a help center for people who were homeless or needed help with their rent and stuff like that. So we would coordinate a lot of projects, but you, you always wondered 
you're kind of getting along. It's a good way to meet people. It was a good, it was a very good thing. But I didn't know about really are we unified or are we just trying to keep from stepping on each other's toes when we schedule our fundraisers in this little mm-hmm. town. Um, and there were real challenges. Like I went to, I did a funeral with this guy, Len Browning, the Baptist minister. We kind of tag teamed it because half of this, this guy's family was, uh, is Catholic and half of it uh, Baptist. And there was a fight over stuff. And so we just work, worked out this way to kind of do both churches or, or, um, or some different services for different groups. But when I was there, the Catholics were telling me, oh, everybody here was baptized Catholic. And now all these, all these Baptists at this church are ex-Catholics. And I started asking around, and it seemed like that was the case with a lot of the people in our town. And then you don't know what to make of that. You know, like as the, as the Catholic priest in town, that's upsetting. Well, and I, I will say from my experience that a lot of times people who are, who just grew up Protestant, they can be fairly amiable and kind. People who are fallen away Catholics who become Protestants are oftentimes the, the it's my nastiest experiences as a priest. Um, that's where it's actually more difficult a lot of times. Oh yeah, because uh, there's there's some baggage there, and that's understandable. And I don't know what kind of experience they had in the church, but it just seems like you know that can actually make it more complicated. And sometimes there's a, a presumption of knowing more than they would know, right? Or, or like then when then then they really. They think they know more than they do because they grew up in the Catholic Church or whatever. Like I had a friend in college who was a, an ex-Catholic, and she knew everything about Catholic Church, and she was wrong about most everything she said, but she kind of would tell people about what the Catholic Church teaches. She left when she was like ten years old or twelve years old or something, but she had gone through you know some of confirmation or something, so she was the authority or something. So. Anyway, you are you halfway. Have, <laughs> you're halfway to 15 minutes. Okay, okay. Now I'm just. <laughs> are we talking about backsliding? Are we doing ecumenism? Or are we doing okay, the so, topic you brought up earlier? <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. We're getting there. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's kind of roundabout. That was okay, great. that was great so preparation. I realized I don't know what to do, so I said um, I'm going to look for opportunities. So um, recently, I stumbled upon. Uh, and keeping kind of this question as a theme for the year, like praying for Christian unity and like, you know, how, how does this come about? So I uh, stumbled upon the memory of a figure that I, uh, I really cherish and am grateful for. And um, so I want to honor a figure from the evangelical, American evangelical world as a way to, um, I don't know, offer a, an olive branch or just a sign of um, gratitude toward uh, non-Catholic Christians during this year. Okay, so this character is called Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson. You know Chuck Colson. Chuck Sampson. No, in the yeah, room. yeah. There's another Chuck. No, Chuck Colson. You've so, never been called Chuck before, have you? You have uh, by your twin. Yeah, that sounds like something. Hank, Chuck, and Hank. Do you do you go by Chuck? No, he no, does no, not no. Go. He doesn't like that. He's waving no. No, no. Chucky, not call him maybe Chuck. Chucky. Oh, God, it's even worse. <laughs> oh, I'm cringing, and I'm not even named Chuck. Okay. Okay, so Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson. He was a Marine captain, uh, became a lawyer, uh, did real well as a lawyer, and uh, became uh, the consultant to Richard Nixon when Nixon is campaigning for uh, the presidency. Um, he... Nixon is elected, Chuck Colson becomes special counsel to the president, 
and um, he becomes like the the bully in the in the White House. Um, he, he was called the, by some the evil genius of Nixon's uh, evil um, reign, or uh, the hatchet man for Nixon is another nickname. So he was a bully. He was he was a pretty rough dude, and he didn't really live by much of a moral code during that time. Um, he was involved in we're not sure exactly how in Watergate, and went to jail for seven months after Nixon got in trouble for all this stuff. Okay. So then he comes, um, just before he's going to jail, he, um, his friend gives him Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Mm. And he reads this thing, and he's really impressed, and he um, makes a prayer and starts to experience a, a deep conversion in his life. He starts going to a prayer meeting with some of uh, the other folks in Washington, D.C., some of the, the senators and uh, congressmen. Um, and a local pastor, and he says that his life really turns around. Now, some were skeptical and said, well, you're just trying to get out of your prison sentence, you know, or get it lowered or something. Something's fishy here, and nobody trusted him. He was like, I mean, he was like Saul. He was like bad guy, you know. And um, so he went to jail. He went to jail for seven months. He, um, in jail, he keeps up with this Christian thing. He's praying. He's going to, uh, he's reading the Bible, and um, yeah, he says that he has this great conversion. Well, as, as he's leaving, all of these people in the jail are saying, um, it's great that you're leaving. You're white collar. You're going back into a successful world. The rest of us are stuck in jail for life because that's what happens. You know, you have something like 50% recidivism. Um, felons really can't get any good jobs after, after jail. You're kind of in the system and they know it. And so he really like encountered that world for the first time and really had a heart for it. And so part of his conversion to Christ was also this kind of conversion to, to compassion and sympathy toward the prisoners. So he gets out, he goes back to being a lawyer, um, but he also starts this group called Prison Fellowship, trying to organize people to, um, to go in and visit the, uh, the prisoners and uh, to spend time with them, to pray with them, to do Bible studies, to educate them. And um, ultimately, when he talks about it very beautifully, if you look him up, um, it's really just about humanizing that environment that's um, very lonely and hostile and undignified. It strips a person of their dignity and then um, really leads to a worse life than when they got there, unless you bring something in and change something. And um, the world, the government who puts them in jail... um, well, I mean, they commit crimes. They go to jail. I'm not, you know, we don't want some sort of weird undue sympathy. Um, they, offer no, they offer no reform. You know, they don't have anything to give them in terms of, like, here's how to become a better person. The, the go- our government doesn't have a code for what is a better person. It's up to everybody and uh, on their own. And it's kind of a matter, like, morality and ethics is kind of a matter of religion. So the government tries not to say anything about what is a good person anymore. I mean, sometimes you get little bits from the media or schools or something. But anyway, they don't have a whole lot to offer. So the idea was um, this is the best thing that he had received. He's, that's what he's going to give. He's going to give them Christ. And he's, he um, organized a lot of people. Now, uh, prison fellowship is grown. It's in 120 countries. Mm. There's a lot of people going into the, into the prisons. 
um, all over America and throughout the world. Including? Including my dad, Dick Rapp. Dick Rapp. Every Wednesday, yep. every Wednesday night for, for, for 30 years. Wow, 30 years. Has gone and done and held, um, uh, led a Bible study for the prisoners. Yeah, that's awesome. It, w- it was also uh, something that I got into, prison ministry. Um, and this is, uh, Catholics do this as well. I mean, he has a formal group called Prison Fellowship, but a lot of parishes will have people visit, priests will visit the hospital or visit the, the jails. And um, so I got into that, and I just, I, I really love it, but I really respect him for being a figure who went out of his way to do this. Um, so that's the first part. Can I pause and say yeah. a really funny story real quick about doing prison ministry? Yeah. I please. was, uh, I had a year at the, um, I forget the name of it. It's, uh, it was a juvenile delinquent prison, so it was like 16 to 21-year-olds mm-hmm. uh, in Golden, Colorado not far from St. Joe's Parish. And we were out there every uh, Tuesday night or wherever doing our Catholic services night. It was me and uh, now Father Jeff, um, what's his name, from South Dakota? Norfolk. Norfolk, yeah. And then Alberto Alejandro, the three of us would go out and they would fight in front of the car because Jeff wanted to pray the rosary and Alberto wanted to listen to Shakira every every week. (laughs) So we got out there and there's whatever, a dozen guys or whatever, you know. So we do a little communion service, Bible study. Well, then this one night, we show up and there's like 50 guys and we are like, we are killing it. Oh like, yeah. We've only been here three weeks. We've like, you know, quadrupled our numbers. We are just absolutely, we must just be slaying this thing right now. Well, all of a sudden like the sirens go off and these like bodyguards come out of every different door and they start grabbing guys and uh, they start ripping their shirts off. And what they found was they had planned a breakout from Catholic services to break out of the jail. <laughs> and Ooh. so they all had bed sheets tied under their shirts and everything, and they're ripping. But what happened was the guards thought we were in on this. Oh, and no. so they started grabbing us. And they're, and it was it was just absolute insanity. And I remember getting like my face slammed into this desk and, it, and it, getting interrogated. And I was like, this is insane. I have no idea what's going on. And he's like, we've heard that before. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so intense. So finally it got all worked out when all the security was in and the bosses That's came so in. That's so funny. Did you get and thrown in jail? I did not get thrown in jail. <laughs> but that was, uh, I haven't been back to prison ministry since then. So it was, yeah, it was a, a bit, bit a it was a bit crazy. Anyways, I wanted to share that story. That's so funny. I respect your dad for doing it year after year for 30 years and never being accused of uh, Jeff Norfolk breaking been... people out. So anyways, part two. Yeah, okay, so Chuck Colson. This I, is 15, by the way. I love, okay, that's, that's right. So you know, we can go good. over a little bit. This We're is good. Italy. This is gold, baby. So uh, I, I have a lot of respect for him for uh, prison fellowship, which he kept up with for a very long time. So for the doubters about a, if a person can convert, can they change? Well, a commitment for uh, 50 years of your life, um, maybe not 50 years, what was it, 70s, uh, 30 years of your life, uh, is it, I, I don't know, it means something, you know, or 40 years. Um, so, you know, respect for that, for prison fellowship. Now, Chuck Colson also did a lot of work in the evangelical world um, for promoting Christianity in the public square. So he's kind of like one of these patriots who was uh, very vocal about how um, any social, any society, but America in our case, uh, needs religion to make it a, a stable and um, kind of uh, peaceful environment. It needs morality 
And morality comes, um, in our case, from, from Christianity. It needs religion. And um, so with a lot of voices who are saying, well, we can live without it. We can build society without it. You can build public policy without religion. Um, he was, yeah, he was just very vocal. And, and he appreciated that Catholics were very vocal about and have been very vocal about, um, uh, about kind of social questions and um, being, uh, being public about religion and our Christianity and being proud of that and being thoughtful, being reasonable about those. Um, so he did a lot of work with, um, uh, with Catholics. And then uh, at one point, they asked the question, well, how do Catholics and evangelicals get along? Or what, what, ca- what can we say about our relationship together and the, the things that, that unify us? And in 1994, he uh, co-authored a, um, a statement of, or I mean, co-authored, there were 20 evangelical leaders and 20 Catholic leaders who came together and um, together published a statement called Evangelicals and Catholics Together, the Christian Mission in the Third Millennium in 1994. And uh, they, with a very clear sense that we do not agree about doctrine, and we actually disagree very strongly, and these things really matter to us, and we have a lot of energy and, ex- and um, uh, defensiveness about that. Nevertheless, we agree about some very important things, uh, particularly about the Christian mission to the world. I think what they saw was, we live in a secular time, and uh, the biggest enemy to Christianity right now is just secularism. It's just anti-religious sentiment that pretends that that human beings would be better off without religion or could just live without it. If it's divisive, it's better to just live without it. And um, we just know that's not the case. So um, they got together and they um, published this document that um, talks about really just like we share this central mission that Jesus Christ is a part of all of our lives and it gives us an identity that brings us together. And then we want to uh, spread the, the knowledge of Jesus, the Savior of the world, and the good news of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to uh, as many as we can together. Now, I have to admit this document is new to me, but I'm just thumbing through it as you're talking here. And there's some, uh, at least from the Catholic side, which would be names that I know, there's some heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. So participants here, um, Cardinal Francis George at yep. the time, who was up in uh, Yakima, Washington, uh, Avery Dulles, Dulles, great uh, ecclesiologist Richard John Newhouse, uh, George Weigel, Novak, Novak, Stafford, our own Cardinal Stafford at the time, um, and then some other ones here: uh, Augustine De Noia, uh, great Dominican yep. scholar, Marian Glendon, close friend of John Paul II's, uh, Peter Kreft. So, um, just like there's some serious, uh, yeah. serious intellectuals here uh, working on this project. It's not some some schlep. You know. And it's a good read. I think it's a it's a pretty solid statement about how uh, Christians can work together in contemporary America. Um, it does have some of the sort of soft language that you would expect. Uh, chapter titles called "We Affirm Together," right. "We Hope Together," right. "We Contend Together," "We Search Together." So uh, some of this is kind of a turnoff to millennial Catholics. Uh, but nevertheless, it's very well worth finding. It's uh, a real short statement. It was um, a little bit debated after its publication. Um, 
both on the evangelical side and on the Catholic side, mostly on the evangelical side. Some of them said, you're conceding way too much to Catholics. And uh, not, and, and I don't know. I mean, there's still enough Protestant sentiment to say they're, we're not working together. And we're not, you know, disciples sharing the same mission because they have their own mission. Now, can I ask you a controversial question? Mm-hmm. I don't want to cut you off, though, in the presentation of this. Um, the evangelical churches, the the megachurch phenomenon, which is, it seems to me, um, a fruit of kind of the post-denominational Protestant world, so the kind of the decline of um, mainstream denominations, uh, which happened in the 60s and 70s, into the 80s. Yeah, they and lost the, a lot of their identity, and now these... And the rise of the megachurch, these megachurches these, the evangelical... The churches. Well, I mean, the evangelical thing has its roots, you know, Karl Barth and Bonhoeffer and these guys, you know, backaways, but yeah, there's theological roots and also just like an an interest in uniting all those denominations. But it also seems like the day of the evangelical thing has passed, and now the, our generation are not going to the mega churches; they're going to, they're going to the emerging church things, to the kind of the the smaller. When I talk to people back home, uh, they're not going to New Life in Carl Springs; they're going to Park Church or um, Bloom or these kind of it just seems to be, it's like a moving beyond its time. So the, yeah. I guess the question is, and well, what, what is that I actually? I would even say that the, the megachurches are changing too. A lot about Protestant uh, Christianity in America has changed. Some of the moral stances. So this is one of the things that this takes for granted. 20 years ago, you could say most Christians agree about all these moral issues. Right. That's not really the case That's anymore. Um, so moral issues, um, some of it, just like the idea of evangelical Christianity, where I need to be telling somebody about Jesus Christ all the time. And I mean, a lot of a lot of Christians, even in the mega churches, are now more about like, well, it's my thing, you know. And I'm content yeah. to go and read and feed my soul, and I don't need to go telling anybody or pushing. And that was the definition of evangelical right, right. back, you know. And that's what they were saying. We're, we're united with Catholics about that. We want to spread this word, and now I don't. I, there's a lot of Bible churches, even the big ones, you know. Who and a little sign of that might be Campus Crusade for Christ. The founder would ever endorse that book, but now it's just called Crew. Oh yeah, you know, just like a little thing. Like we don't want to be. Well, Crusade was probably strong. I mean, yeah, they, but even they picked still, it that way. They knew that they knew what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it's so. true though. I think people are just very intimidated about the thought of. Uh, potentially manipulating other people or telling other people what to think or do. The problem is, Jesus gave us a mission, and if you if you come to know Jesus, you know that it's true and it's good for people, and it's something to be shared, and it's not something to be embarrassed about. Um, it's it's a richness that you can give to anybody, and anybody can have. Um, but I think we've be kind of lost lost a lot of momentum and um, kind of presence to another voice and another worldview that says um, there's kind of ultimate freedom of the individual to think anything they want, identify them any, themselves any way they want, is the ultimate rule of life, you know? If I may jump in, I would say, yes, I certainly agree, but praise the Lord, we do have some examples of, shall we say, evangelical Christians who take the public spotlight and turn it into a chance for evangelization. Think of the quarterbacks of the Philadelphia Philadelphia Eagles after their oh, Super yeah. Bowl, and of course, Tim Tebow some years ago. 
there are, it seems like, individual cases of people who take the initiative. And uh, we Catholics definitely can stand to learn from that, I would say. But, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, maybe as a last word for me, it's just this is starting to inform me about what, what can bring us together and where can we go uh, because I want to be unified with all of those uh, sincere, like very dedicated and self-sacrificing Christians who are not Catholics. Uh, I have a lot of respect for them but don't still don't know like, well, what are, where is this going or what can we do? And uh, this, I mean, it gives me some help. Part of it is serve for the sake of Christ and serve together. You know, go to a jail together. Uh, pray for the jails. Pray for the local community. You can pray together. Um, uh, go to the local abortion clinic together. That's been a, a real kind of common sort of link together for a long time. Um, have conversations. Uh, you know, work together. Have have a book club about some social issue, or um, just talk about stuff. We will fight if we get into the doctrinal area. And maybe that's good, too. I think it's important for people to be honest with each other. Um, but um, there are ways for us to work together in spite of the fact that we disagree. Yeah, I was trying to figure out, how is this Catholic... Chuck Colson, what is this Catholic stuff you should know? But I think what you're saying is ecumenism is Catholic stuff you should know. And even more profoundly, to say wherever there's goodness and truth and faith, that's Catholic stuff that you should know and you should find. So there's something about what's happening. Um, and if you're an evangelical looking at the Catholic Church, it's just as confusing because you're like, what the heck? Half of these Catholics are pro-abortion, all this different, you know, it's just as crazy. So we got to get back to the to the baseline thing, which is to say um, there's a savior of the world and there's someone who's working to destroy the world and that's the enemy. And we have to work against that. And we have to discern cultural movements and realities that are happening. And we have to just remember what matters. We sit in a house here with Catholic priests and we fight about stupid crap because we forget that, like, my three-year-old nephew is going to go to kindergarten and is going to be persecuted for being a, a person of hate because he believes traditionally what marriage is or what a man is or what a woman is. Yeah, yeah. So if we get back to that, if we if we get a sense of how distorted the culture has become, I think we'll have a new incentive yeah. to work together. But I think we got to want to as well. Yeah. And that's maybe the other Catholic thing that you should know, is that this was a big effort of the last generation that I think is worth our, our yeah. kind of taking up and yeah. taking the baton, even if it's got to be our way because things have changed in yeah. various ways. we just got to figure out how to do that. Well done. Under the, under the gun, time crunch, you did well, I it. I know, I went Father over Father Charlie, awesome work. Let's do shout-outs real quick and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, we had a wonderful dinner last night at Abruzzi with uh, Father Tom Byrne from the Archdiocese of Chicago. Yeah. Formator extraordinaire. He's presently forming half of the uh, universe. Uh, and, he's uh, got to buy locate because he's doing so many things. And one of his favorite, actually the guy he came to visit is uh, Ben Ramini. You know Ben from Chicago? Um, great guy. Um, actually, um, yeah, that's a good shut up because I think his family is Palestinian. <laughs> Better get that right. So, anyways, Ben, I hope you have family who's Catholic in the Middle East. Um, <laughs> but I think you told me that one time. He's actually and from he Ireland. has friends. Yeah, he's actually Irish. Uh, he has friends Robert and Lydia Black from Algonquin, Illinois, uh, who listen. And so, shout out to them and Ben and Father Tom. And uh, thanks for a great dinner last night. 
Yeah. Oh, shout out to Father Zach Swantek. He was at uh, dinner tonight. I haven't seen him for a few years. He's back. Um, a good priest from Jersey. Um, Philadelphia. Philly guys. That's it. I Richie, gotta, I pit, Richard it McFadden up. told Chris me. Maricone, Maricone. Maricone. Chris Maricone uh, meets us on the street. He's a fan of the podcast and uh, also an Eagles fan. Apparently, everybody in Philly is an Eagles fan <laughs> and are very excited right now. They're on like Victory Lab. Burn the city down. So, Father Richard McFadden, <laughs> uh, good friend, another fourth floor guy. Another fourth floor guy. Um, yep. But I think that's it. Good. That's the shout outs. Well, again, come and see um, what does it say? A Catholic Guide to the Holy Land. Buy it on Amazon. Just Google it. You'll find it. Father Charlie Sampson, one of our favorites here in Rome. And uh, thanks again. Best of luck with this book. Uh, great having you with us. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com and on Instagram. Did you know that? Yeah, at Catholic at, Stuff Podcast. At Catholic Stuff Podcast. That's right. Hashtag Father, Father Char- Charlie just wrote a book. That's it. Dot com. Ha, ha, ha.